from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello, my name is Alyssa Carroll, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we sometimes veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to some of my patrons, Rachel, Whitney, Pixie, Maya, Alethea, Elena, Aaron, Katoris, Catherine, Sam, Linda, Janice. You know, it's been a while since we've done a true crime science episode, so I figured it was time to make part three of this series. This one was requested as they wanted me to discuss the different personality disorders as well as the different clusters to be specific. So that's what we're diving into today. So, if you are a fan of true crime, then most likely you are, like myself, and wanting to know what exactly drives people to do the things they do. We have different camps that will passionately defend their stance on why people do evil things and consequently how these people should be dealt with. The age-old nature versus nurture debate. And I just want to say now that every single one of us displays these behaviors from time to time. It does not mean you have a personality disorder. Let's not start diagnosing ourselves, okay? But for now, let's talk about personality disorders. So what exactly are they? The American Psychiatric Association states that, quote, Personality disorders are long-term patterns of behavior and inner experiences that differ significantly from what is expected. The pattern of experience and behavior begins by late adolescence or early adulthood and causes distress or problems in functioning, end quote. Without treatment, these can be long-lasting to be diagnosed with a specific personality disorder, a person must meet the minimum number of criteria established for that disorder. They also have to meet the diagnostic requirements for a psychiatric disorder with symptoms that cause functional impairment and or subjective stress. So, according to mentalhelp.net, and side note, I leaned very heavily on their information throughout my research. There are four defining features of personality disorders. One, distorted thinking patterns. Two, problematic emotional responses. Three, over or under-regulated impulse control. And four, interpersonal difficulties. Now, there are 10 different personality disorders according to the DSM-5, and these can be grouped into three different clusters based on descriptive similarities within each cluster. The clusters are A for the odd eccentric cluster, B the dramatic emotional erratic cluster, and C the anxious fearful cluster. 
And for those asking me silently in their heads, yes, a person can be diagnosed with more than one personality disorder and that they tend to happen within the same cluster. So let's talk about clusters. Cluster A is the, you know, quote, odd eccentric cluster. So these include paranoid personality disorder, schizoid personality disorder, and schizotypal personality disorder. Now the common theme between them are social awkwardness and social withdrawal and are dominated by distorted thinking. With paranoid personality disorder, we see a pervasive distrust or suspiciousness of others. They automatically assume people want to hurt them, use them, or humiliate them. In turn, they expend a lot of energy trying to protect themselves and keep their distance from others. They have been known to attack people if they feel threatened by that person. They hold grudges and display pathological jealousy. Their perception of their environment is such that they think everyone around them has some evil intentions when the outside comments are actually innocent. They dwell on the mistakes people have made in the past and they are not easily able to confide in other people and in fact usually will not let themselves even develop a close bond with really anyone. Think of distrust and hostility. With schizoid personality disorder, we see a very predictable pattern of social detachment in a very narrow range of emotional expression. These people are quite socially isolating and they most often do not seek out or enjoy close relationships. Instead, choosing very solitary activities and don't seem to take pleasure in the little things life offers. They are the loners and seem to be indifferent to both criticism and praise. They come across as detached, cold, aloof. They are often completely oblivious to social cues, are, quote, unable to read the room as they say. Their limited emotional range and failure to be able to mirror gestures or even facial expressions make it seem that they are inattentive or even dull. And then we have schizotypal personality disorder, which is characterized by a persistent pattern of social and interpersonal limitations. They are very uncomfortable in social situations and have a reduced ability to maintain close relationships. They tend to be socially isolated, reserved, and distant. Now, I know this sounds a lot like schizoid type, but the difference is this third group under cluster A experiences perceptual and cognitive distortions and or eccentric behavior rather than flat or dull. These abnormal perceptions could include noticing odd flashes of light that no one else sees or even seeing objects and shadows out of the corner of their eyes only to realize there's nothing there. They may have strange beliefs such as having telepathy or people being able to remove thoughts from their minds. They will often believe in odd or superstitious fantasies that go against societal norms. 
And this particular disorder tends to be found more frequently in families where someone has already been diagnosed with schizophrenia. So again, in cluster A, we have the odd eccentric cluster. Cluster B is the, quote, dramatic, emotional, and erratic cluster. These include borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder that most of us in the true crime community know very well. The common theme between them is issues with impulse control and emotional regulation. So let's... This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Let's discuss antisocial first. This one is the big one that most everyone has heard of. It is a pervasive pattern of disregard for the rights of others and often displays as hostility and or aggression. Now, in many cases, the typical behaviors actually begin to show during childhood and these kids, as we well know, usually torture or kill animals, hurt people, bully others through intimidation, set fires, lie, steal, and they frequently act on impulse urges without considering the later consequences. Due to this, they have a much harder time keeping jobs, have troubles with the law, and so on. They typically feel no remorse or guilt for the harm that they have caused others, and they take little to no responsibility for their actions. So for this one, think deceit and manipulation. So moving on to histrionic personality disorder, we see a pattern of excessive emotions and attention seeking. They are most uncomfortable in situations where they are not the center of attention and will act depressed if not so. They are flirtatious and come across as seductive. They like to dress nice, can be quite theatrical, and display exaggerated emotional expression. They seem shallow and come across as insincere and often embarrass the people around them. They will read into relationships as being way more intense than what they actually are, and they are also easily influenced. So these are our drama queens, respectfully. Narcissistic personality disordered people tend to have severe issues with their sense of self-worth due to their supreme sense of entitlement. They truly believe that they deserve special treatment, assume they are special compared to regular people, and can be brilliant and come across as attractive. But they disrespect the worth of the people around them. 
They are often distracted by their internal fantasies of unlimited success and power, to the point that they barely put any real or sincere effort into the real world. This is the group that will feel absolutely devastated when they learn they are just average humans, and once they are made aware, they will be angry or feel shame, and they usually take that out on others. They have a need to feel powerful, to be admired. They have a lack of empathy and are very manipulative. So for these guys, think self-absorbed. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And to finish cluster B, we have what I believe my own mother has and is thought that Edmund Kemper's mother had, borderline personality disorder. This disorder displays as intense and unstable emotions and moods that change very quickly. Once they are worked up, they have a much harder time calming back down. They have frequent angry outbursts and engage in impulsive behaviors such as risky sex, substance abuse, overspending, heavy gambling, binge eating, and even self-injury. Of course, these will make them feel better in the immediate, but not the long term. They have a very black and white worldview and think in all or nothing terms. They are viciously judgmental of others as well as themselves. They have an unstable sense of self and have a harder time being consistent. They frequently go between one thing to another, such as relationships, residences, careers, and so on. The takeaway is that they feel tremendous distress when they cannot easily control the people and things around them. So this emotional intensity and their hard time regulating those emotions leads them to act out impulsively. And then finally we have cluster C. These are our anxious, fearful folk. The personality disorders included under cluster C are avoidant personality disorder, dependent personality disorder, and obsessive compulsive personality disorder. The commonality between these disorders is that they all share a high level of anxiety. So first we have avoidant personality disorder. This is a frequent pattern of social inhibition and feelings of inadequacy. They tend to be hypersensitive to negative evaluation. They are so very afraid that others will belittle them or reject them. So they avoid social situations and interactions with others, which of course increases their need to avoid social interpersonal situations, like a friend gathering or even having to be the center of attention during a meeting at work. People often think of them as just intensely shy or rigid, but really they see themselves as unappealing and socially inept, which causes intense anxiety. Then we have dependent personality disorder, which manifests as a strong need to be taken care of by others. 
They are scared of losing the support of their loved ones, which often leads to them acting in a kind of clingy way and tend to submit to the desires of other people. They cannot tolerate confrontation and will usually not stand up for themselves for fear of that relationship becoming broken. This can leave them wide open to manipulation and abuse. They even usually have difficulty in making independent decisions and feel frozen when asked to do something with no assistance. And then finally, we have obsessive compulsive disorder. These individuals are wholly consumed with rules, rituals, regulations, and order. This need for complete control makes them inflexible to openness and efficiency. They are quite talented at making lists and keeping schedules and are usually always devoted to their work above even social needs. They are so completely driven that they often lose sight of what's actually important. Doing anything below what they deem acceptable is just not a part of their vocabulary. And they tend to not be able to trust other people to complete tasks on their behalf. Most of their behavioral rituals revolve around trying to stave off perceived catastrophes. If any part of what they feel they have to do in whatever order they must do it in is interrupted, the anxiety that follows is debilitating. For this, think perfectionism and control. So in summation, personality disorders aren't diagnosed for people who occasionally display behaviors that fall under any of these. The behaviors and thought patterns have to be long-term and inner experiences must differ significantly from what is expected. There are three clusters or umbrellas that these personality disorders fall under. Cluster A, which is the odd eccentric cluster that includes the paranoid schizoid schizotypal personality disorders. Cluster B, referred to as the dramatic emotional and erratic cluster, which includes antisocial, histrionic, narcissist, and borderline personality disorders. And finally, cluster C, called the anxious fearful cluster. Included in this cluster is avoidant, dependent, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. Now, the next natural question is, are there any biological factors related to the development of personality disorders? So this would encompass the nature portion of nature versus nurture. Researchers have scientifically investigated the influence of genetics within families or twin studies. Coupling this with neuroscience technologies, it has become quite apparent that personality traits or the tendencies to behave in certain ways across situations and time are in fact inherited and biologically determined. So looking at genetic factors with regards to schizotypal personality disorder, we see more frequent occurrences where there is at least one other family member that has been diagnosed with schizophrenia. They were able to document similar distinctive behavioral patterns in family members with both disorders, which means these behaviors share a common genetic origin. 
Studies have also shown that impulse aggression tends to run in families of people diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, again showing a likely genetic link for this behavior. However, I want to stress that though the results of the studies highly suggest genetic commonalities, they cannot definitively rule out these behaviors being learned from the environment. Children may just learn to be aggressive just by watching family members be aggressive. But the science is promising in that these studies have identified brain abnormalities in people with schizotypal personality disorder, primarily in the temporal cortex, which is in the center of your brain, above your brain stem. These abnormalities look like the ones in people with schizophrenia, but it is believed that the other kind of higher functioning regions of the brain sort of help protect from the more debilitating psychotic symptoms. There is also some very promising evidence for the role of genetics when it comes to impulsive aggression. There has been a relationship identified between impulsive aggression and a neurochemical system called the serotonergic system. This is a fancy term for saying there is a biological cause of the characteristics of our cluster B group or the antisocials and so on. But this isn't always bad news. It just means that there could be some kind of medication intervention that could have promising results. And if you've been with me long enough, I'm sure you remember that I've talked a lot about head injuries and how, especially with frontal lobe damage, it can cause a complete shift in a person's personality. People that are in cluster B often display behaviors that show problems with functioning in the prefrontal cortex or the front part of your brain behind your forehead and eyes. Any type of damage to this area can alter a person's ability to make careful and positive decisions and be able to sort of think themselves out of a bad mood. People in cluster B often report having trouble keeping their powerful emotions in check. Now, it goes without saying that just because a person has an abnormal region in their brain that they then automatically are doomed to develop a personality disorder. But the trend for such a correlation is there. Since I mentioned Edmund Kemper, let's take a quick look at him. In an interview with criminal psychologist Adrian Arno, who has worked with Lifetime Network and IDTV, and side note, ID channel. What's up? Call me. Stated, quote, Antisocial personality, narcissism, social anxiety, organized lust killer. There's significant evidence from the fields of developmental psychology, neurobiology, and animal epigenetic studies that neglect, parental inconsistency, and a lack of love can lead to long-term mental health problems as well as reduce overall potential and happiness. End quote. It is believed, though there's no way of knowing officially, that Clarnell, Ed's mother, had borderline personality disorder. I'm not qualified to make that diagnosis, but with what has been said about her, I tend to agree with that assessment. According to the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health, 
Children of mothers with borderline personality disorder should be considered a high-risk group considering the poor psychosocial outcomes that have been found in these children. Family studies assessing the rates of a borderline relative have found a 4 to 20-fold increase in the risk of developing BPD compared to the general population. Research supports an even stronger familial cluster of the core features of BPD, most often instability and impulsivity, and relatives of someone with BPD are at an increased risk for related psychiatric disorders, including major depressive disorder, substance abuse disorder, get this, are you sitting down? Antisocial personality disorder. Boom. Now I can already hear the comments about how I'm putting the blame for what Ed did on his mother. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that the genetics he potentially inherited from her mixed with the sort of spice of the psychological and even physical environment she raised him in due to her own likely personality disorder would have made a very strong and flavorful set of ingredients for his life's soup, if you will. I'll even point the finger at myself. My own mother has never been to a psychiatrist that I'm aware of, but the major themes at play with mothers who are borderline seem to fit her puzzle piece. For example, out of the different types of BPD mothers, Clarnell and mine fit the witch queen types. So first, the witch mothers hate themselves and continue the cycle by acting cruelly to others, especially those who are too weak, young, or powerless to help themselves. They feel no remorse for their horrible behavior and show more interest in their own well-being than concern over the way they've hurt others. Their triggers include jealousy, criticism, betrayal, abandonment, feeling left out, and being ignored. They want absolute power and control over others so that others do not abandon them. Once triggered, they become blind with rage and will punish or hurt anyone in their way and they are more resistant to treatment. While the majority of borderline mothers don't physically abuse their children, the ones that do abuse when other competent adults are conveniently not present. This means that the abused child lives in constant fear while all seems well to everyone outside of that duo. I can 1000% tell you that this is true from personal experience. A quote from an article from the site Out of the Fog said it best, quote, Children live in terror of the witch's capricious moods. They are the collateral damage of a secret war they did not start, do not understand, and cannot control. Attacks are random, intense, and cruel. Children automatically think they're at fault and can become ashamed, depressed, insecure, dissociative, and hypervigilant. Their existence becomes centered around not triggering their mother, though that doesn't really work. As adults, these kids may have multiple difficulties with self, relationships, physical illness, and even post-traumatic stress disorder.
then the queen type BPD mother has an incessant need for attention and guilt trips people by using the usual quote, I've done such and such for you so you owe me statements. They are entitled, but they feel empty, are lonely and frustrated, and they have a very low tolerance for frustration. They simply aren't able to self-soothe and are quite vindictive using tactics like blackmail. Again, 1000% understand this from a personal perspective. But let's not just focus on the cluster B disorders as mainstream media tends to do. My dear friend Aaron Banks, author of the book, Ted Bundy Examining the Unconfirmed Survivor Stories, which I'll, I'll link in the notes, reminded me that it is important to remember that the personality disorders in clusters A and C have comorbidities and shouldn't be ignored, and she's absolutely right. Comorbidity means there is an existence of two or more diseases or conditions in the same person at the same time. Common ones for BPD are depression, anxiety, and PTSD. According to the Psychiatric Times, personality disorders frequently coexist with psychotic affective and anxiety disorders. Comorbid psychopathologies result in significantly greater functional impairment compared to individual disorders. So the comorbidities make things much more intense, guys. Cluster A houses the disorders that primarily deal with psychosis, and of course, Cluster C leans toward our anxious people. Comorbidities with Cluster A include substance use disorders, major depressive disorder, agoraphobia, OCD, delusional disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar disorders 1 and 2, and phobias. With cluster C, we have comorbidities of mood disorders, social phobias, eating disorders, again, substance abuse disorders, anxiety disorders. There's some crossover as cluster B has many of the same as A and C. And I know I went a bit overboard on the borderline personality disordered mother examples, but you know, that one is kind of personal to me. But regardless, I hope that this has answered some of the questions I had been getting about the different clusters. Now, don't go diagnosing yourself or others. That's a big no-no in our world. If you feel you fit any of these, please go seek out testing and talk to the professionals. Let me know if you'd like. But let me know what other true crime science topics you'd like me to cover. And as always, thank you so much for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I truly appreciate that. Thank you so much guys and have a great day.